Greetings, students. As always, this is Professor Totten, and welcome to the history of the American people since 1877. Today's lecture is entitled, John Fitzgerald Kennedy's Administration. Please follow along on the PowerPoint as I speak, and turn to the first slide, the election of 1960. In the election of 1960, the sitting vice president, Richard Nixon, a Republican of California, faced off against the Massachusetts senator, John Fitzgerald Kennedy, a Democrat. Nixon ran on peace, prosperity, and eight years of experience. Kennedy promised to get the country moving again and attacked Republicans for waging the Cold War too softly and allowing a so-called missile gap. Like the 1928 Democratic candidate Al Smith, JFK was a Catholic, but unlike Smith, he spoke directly about his Catholicism. 60 million people turned in to watch the presidential debates. Some claimed that JFK won on TV while Nixon won on the radio. Regardless, the popular vote was extremely close. Out of 68 million votes cast, JFK won only by 118,000 votes. Please advance to the next slide entitled, JFK's Administration. JFK's cabinet has been called the best and the brightest. The Secretary of State was Dean Rusk, a Rhodes Scholar who worked in the State Department and had experience in the early stages of the Cold War. The Attorney General was Kennedy's brother, Robert F. Kennedy, aka Bobby. His Secretary of Defense was Robert McNamara, a former Harvard professor and president of the Ford Motor Company. The foreign policy changed no longer would it be about massive retaliation, but instead it emphasized flexible response. It hinged on the belief the United States could wage limited wars without blowing up the world with nuclear weapons, and it provided more of a focus on conventional forces, including the special forces such as the Green Berets. Please advance to the next slide entitled Disaster in Cuba. In January 1961, Nikita Khrushchev declared that the USSR was ready to support wars of national liberation. And to what places was he referring? Well, two weeks later, JFK took the oath of office and delivered his inaugural address, where he said, quote, Let every nation know, whether it wishes us well or ill, that we shall pay any price, bear any burden, meet any hardship, support any friend, oppose any foe, to assure the survival and the success of liberty. And so, my fellow Americans, ask not what your country can do for you, but ask what you can do for your country. JFK was attempting to inspire the country, offering lofty rhetoric to make us appeal to the better angels of our nature. But he also embarked on foolhardy foreign adventures that were on his desk left over from the Eisenhower administration. In April of 1961, 1,200 Cuban exiles, trained and armed by the CIA, landed at the Bay of Pigs in Cuba. Their goal was to overthrow Fidel Castro. But the attack was a complete disaster. And JFK did something very rare that presidents do. He took responsibility afterwards, saying 
that victory has a hundred fathers and defeat is an orphan. And his approval shot up overnight because of his honesty. And in the wake of the Bay of Pigs disaster, JFK remarked, quote, There are just so many concessions that one can make to communists in one year and survive politically. We just can't have another defeat this year in Vietnam. Now, I'm going to have a full separate lecture on Vietnam, but just to place this in the chronology, this is where the Diem regime is exceedingly corrupt and the Vietnamese are engaged in a civil war. And JFK, in this context, gets secret permission to send U.S. Special Forces or advisors to South Vietnam. And by December, there are over 3,200 U.S. advisors there. Please advance to the next slide, entitled Berlin. In June 1961, JFK and Khrushchev met in Vienna. Khrushchev bullied the new young president and threatened again to cut off Western access to West Berlin. And the threats amounted to little. But in August of that year, the communists were building the Berlin Wall. And the wall was supposed to stop East Germans from fleeing to West Berlin. And the wall became a symbol of the Cold War and stood until 1989 when the German people tore it down. Please advance to the next slide, entitled Escalation. In October of 1961, U.S. spy planes took photos of nuclear-tipped missiles in Cuba, only 90 miles from Florida. What was Khrushchev doing? He wanted to protect Castro's communist revolution in Cuba against U.S. intervention. And also, the United States had missiles in Turkey, which bordered the Soviet Union. So how would the U.S. respond? Some of JFK's advisors proposed an invasion of Cuba, while others wanted airstrikes against the missile sites. And his Joint Chiefs of Staff really wanted to go to war with Cuba. They each had a bone to pick. In the end, JFK demanded that the Soviets remove the existing missiles from Cuba and enacted a naval quarantine of the island, which meant U.S. boats would stop Soviet ships from trying to bring more missiles to Cuba. But what would happen if United States boats fired on the Soviets? Would nuclear war erupt? On October 22nd, JFK addressed the nation, explaining the situation and the quarantine, and people were scared to death during the so-called Cuban Missile Crisis. For several days, the world had held its collective breath. Meanwhile, the Americans and the Soviets were negotiating behind doors, and throughout these negotiations, the Joint Chiefs of Staff kept trying to start a war. They launched nuclear weapons tests, they sent U-2 planes over Cuba hoping they would get shot down, and they demanded low-level flights under the guise of locating all the missiles, but really, they were trying to expose American airmen to danger so that if they were shot at, they could start this war. And at every step of the way, JFK and his staff is trying to stay ahead of things. JFK is trying to keep the United States out of nuclear holocaust. The negotiations go back and forth, but by August 26, things looked bleak, and in a last-ditch effort, a deal was struck and war averted. Eventually, Khrushchev agreed to remove the Soviet missiles from Cuba and turn around his boats if the United States promised never to invade Cuba again. And the United States also made a secret agreement that it would remove its missiles from Turkey. On October 28th, the deal was made public. The missile crisis was over, and the world breathed a huge sigh of relief. So make a note here. The only reason that we avoided nuclear holocaust was because of the actions of two men. 
JFK and Khrushchev, proving again that two men, one person, who sacrifices for the principles can change the world. And as an other note, in 1995, a Russian general at a conference drunkenly admitted that the Cubans had been given nuclear weapons and artillery, which is called frog hoppers. So had any invasion of Cuba occurred, it would have absolutely led to nuclear holocaust. Please advance to the next slide entitled Nuclear Agreements. On August 5th, 1963, the United States and the Soviet Union, as well as the British, signed the Limited Test Ban Treaty in Moscow, and it was an agreement to ban nuclear tests in the atmosphere, but not underground. JFK, who had been shaken by the Cuban Missile Crisis, pushed hard for this. And in August, a hotline between Washington and Moscow was installed so the two leaders could talk directly with one another. Please advance to the next slide entitled, Assassination. On November 22nd, 1963, JFK was assassinated in Dallas by Lee Harvey Oswald, and it was a tragic day for Americans. He was the fourth president to be assassinated, behind Lincoln, James Garfield, and William McKinley. Oswald had been a U.S. Marine who had defected to the Soviet Union, but then came back and told everyone how terrible it was. He was a Marxist, with perhaps connections to the KGB. Now, there are a lot of conspiracy theories about what happened that day. At the very least, we know that Oswald was the one who shot and killed President Kennedy. But we should also remember, Oswald probably wasn't the only dude in Dallas that day who wanted to kill Kennedy, but he was the one who took the shots. While in police custody, Jack Ruby, a club owner, assassinated Oswald, so we will never know what he may have said. In the aftermath, Lyndon Baines Johnson launched the Warren Commission to investigate the assassination, and it came up that Oswald was the culprit, but it also stated that there were a lot of murky circumstances. And LBJ is going to pull a great move here when he forces hardcore segregationist Senator Richard Russell to sit on this commission with Earl Warren, the Chief Justice of the Supreme Court, who had issued the ruling on Brown v. Board of Education. And go ahead and click the link on the PowerPoint and you'll see a quick little video of LBJ brown beating uh, Russell into doing this. Please advance to the next slide entitled JFK's Legacy. JFK was president for a thousand days. He inspired many people, but for the most part, his accomplishments did not live up to his rhetoric or image. Put another way, he was much better at issuing challenges than meeting them. Southern Democrats and Republicans in Congress hampered his ability to get legislation passed. Perhaps he could have done more, but he was stymied. In civil rights, the brave actions of individuals forced his, uh, his administration to act. But once he was pushed, he did support civil rights and tried to get a civil rights bill passed, which eventually would be passed by his successor, LBJ. In foreign policy, his administration had mixed results. Like the Ike Eisenhower, he often confused third-party nationalist movements with communist ones. Most historians praise his handling of the Cuban Missile Crisis, though it certainly got scary. But his handling of Vietnam was much more controversial. And had JFK lived, we never know if he may have withdrawn from Vietnam. But some suggest he would have. Historian Mark Lawrence once said, quote, To be sure, it is doubtful that Kennedy would have taken early steps toward negotiation or withdrawal. For more than two years, after all, he had massively expanded American investment in Vietnam, 
Yet, Kennedy possessed a nuanced grasp of the difficulties confronting the United States in Vietnam, and saw reasons to avoid the introduction of combat forces. It is plausible to speculate that Washington might have pulled back from Vietnam rather than send Americans into battle. End quote. That is all I have for you today. I hope you are all being safe, making smart decisions, and washing your hands. Thank you very much, and have a wonderful day. I'll see you next time.